ultimately his work. This evening we are in Mark 10, the last little episode in, the, in chapter 10. It is a little episode, so it will not be overly long study tonight. It's on page 1007. We come now in this little episode to the end of the way section, this middle section of the Gospel of Mark. 11.1, we're going to see uh, next week, I suppose, now when they drew near to Jerusalem. They arrive at Jerusalem at the beginning of the next chapter. It's actually the last miracle in the Gospel of Mark. Um, he, Jesus does curse the fig tree, and of course he rises again from the dead. So uh, rising again is of course a miracle. But in the sense of Jesus healing someone, casting out a demon, that sort of thing, this is the last in the Gospel of Mark. Here now as I read it. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, in our natural state, our sinful broken state, we are like blind men and women who cannot see the truth of your word. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might see your truth, we might hear your word and respond rightly. Transform us through your word. Amen. All right, this passage begins with them leaving Jericho. Joshua, who uh, uh, Jesus is named for Joshua in Greek and Hebrew, uh, the same name, uh, but one's Hebrew, one's Greek, but it's the same name. His first victory entering the land, his first stop on his mission is Jericho. Here, Jesus' last stop before his final great deliverance is in Jericho. He leaves with disciples and a great crowd. And throughout this way section, chapter 8 through 10, we've seen this kind of back and forth where there's large crowds and yet he keeps pulling the 12 aside to try and teach them individually. Well, they're all going up now. And then we meet this fellow, Bartimaeus. How's he described? Blind beggar. He's blind. He's a beggar. And what else? He's sitting by the roadside. And he's the son of Timaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. Uh, do you know what Bartimaeus means in Aramaic? He's the son of Timaeus. So uh, a bit repetitive there. Uh, Mark probably is saying son of Timaeus to unpack it for Greek, his Greek audience, uh, non-Hebrew or non-Israelite, non-Jewish, that's the word I'm looking for, audience. Uh, uh, it is interesting, I don't think this is what Mark's doing, but it is interesting Plato's most famous dialogue in the ancient world was called Timaeus, 
uh, and was sometimes seen as a preparation for the gospel. And so perhaps Mark is poking a little fun at the blindness of Plato compared to the, the vision that Jesus offers. It's interesting, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the only person who's healed who is named. Yeah, uh, Nate. Is it possible that the original audience of, of Mark was writing to would have known Timaeus as a disciple? Uh, Timaeus or Bartimaeus, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's why he names him. Um, so he's the only named person who's healed, and I think that's because he's a prominent figure in the community, so people are like, oh, I know who that is. And we'll get to that, why we have good reason to think he became a prominent figure in the community here. He's sitting by the roadside. Uh, he was probably known to the early community. Great, you guys hit everything I thought of. Uh, verses 47-48. Oh, sorry, just to back up. I want to read this passage first as a picture of grace and second as a picture of discipleship. So first is a picture of grace. Uh, somehow, Bartimaeus realizes it is Jesus passing by. And apparently he's heard about Jesus because he calls out to him calling him Jesus of Nazareth. Probably hears the hubbub of the crowd and he's straining to understand what they're saying. And finally, you know, he hears Jesus said a few times and maybe he hears you know, some of, uh, you know, the first will be last. Or, you know, so one of those kinds of things that the crowd's saying. And he says, oh, this is that Jesus. So he starts calling out Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it's interesting, the Greek word is not exactly the word we expect just to say of Nazareth. It actually is the word that typically means the Nazarene. We know that Jesus was not a Nazarite in the technical sense because we see him drinking wine and being accused of being a drunkard, all sorts of things like that. Uh, we don't know if his hair ever got cut, but at least that one. Uh, we also see him touching dead bodies and raising them to life. So uh, at least in that sense, he's not a Nazarene. And yet, uh, that kind of sense of, of being specially anointed with the Spirit's power uh, Samson is described as a Nazarene. Remember, the Spirit comes on him and anoints him with power. Uh, it's interesting, Jesus is two times called Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene in the Gospel of Mark. Do you know where the other time is? This is Bible quiz time here. I don't expect you to. I just had to, I, uh, the commentaries pointed out to me that it's only two times, so it's not, it's not like on the front of my mind. The other time is in 124. It's his first miracle. He cast out an unclean spirit, and that unclean spirit says... What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So Jesus' first miracle at the beginning of his ministry, and now at this last miracle, except for the resurrection, he's called the same name. So Mark's associating that together. There's kind of this block of, here's all the signs. They've all been done. What will you make of it? How does, uh, how does Bartimaeus address Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, but what else does he say? Yeah. Son of David. Son of David. Yeah, in Mark's gospel, this is the only time Jesus is called the son of David. He's called the son of man. He's called the son of God. Yet here he's called son of David, have mercy on him. Uh, Mark's gospel, remember, it doesn't have any genealogy like Matthew or Luke at the beginning associating Jesus with David. Uh, he's certainly called the Messiah. And so in that sense, he's fulfilling this hope for another David. And yet here, right before he enters Jerusalem, it's explicit. Son of David, son of David. So it links Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his final pivotal work on the cross and in the resurrection with the fulfillment of those promises to David way back in Samuel. And then we will see in, in, in chapter 11, the next section we'll look at, when they enter the triumphal entry, the people are crying out, the kingdom of David has come. And then in chapter 12, at the end of the next little section in Mark, uh, uh, Jesus asks that question about how is it that the Messiah is the son of David? So that it comes up a few more times. Uh, he calls him the son of David. 
So it's queuing us up for what's going to happen next. What does Bartimaeus ask for? I hear someone whispering, but... He wants his sight restored. He wants his sight restored, that's right. And even before that, he, he cries out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And there's a bit of a contrast there with the rich young ruler that we'll come back to. What do the crowds do? Many rebuke him. You remember another episode recently where people are rebuked trying to come to Jesus? Children. children. When they try to bring their children to Jesus, they're rebuked. Uh, they're saying he's a nuisance, this Bartimaeus. He's on the margin. He's making a hubbub. Jesus has got somewhere to be. Quit being annoying. Shut up. Leave it off. How does Bartimaeus respond when they try to silence him? Doubles the volume. Doubles the volume. He cries out even louder. And then the language used of Jesus in 49 is interesting. He stops in his tracks. He stops in his tracks. Everybody else is trying to silence him and sit and don't be a bother. Knock it off. Just do your thing over in the corner. And to be frank, like sometimes I'll run this new trail that they put in by, um, what road is that, James? Uh, that you can go from Bakerview to James along there. Uh, and the, the homeless are all encamped in the bushes and they'll push their carts along. And just think, I don't really want to talk to you or deal with you. And that kind of, and you can understand that sort of lack of sympathy as our natural reaction to someone. It's just quit being a nuisance, kind of go off and do your thing. Leave us alone. And yet Jesus stops. There's grace where others ignore. He shows compassion on blind Bartimaeus. Yeah, Chris. I think they're taking on a little yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think there's a little bit of a. Um, uh, it's a little bit telling that the crowd then, then immediately what do they say once Jesus calls them? Then they say, "Well, buck up! He's calling you. Good, good news, good day." So it's like they want to silence him, and then when Jesus says, "No, we're summoning him," then they're like, "Oh yeah, that's what we meant all along. Come on!" Uh, so yeah, the crowd is certainly fickle um, here. A bit of self-importance. How does he respond? He springs up and he comes to Jesus. And here, what does Jesus ask him? What do you want me to do for you? Remember that question getting asked recently in Mark's gospel? Yeah, verse 10, verse 36, that James and John come to him. They're saying, well, you promised to do something for us. And he says the exact same words. What do you want me to do for you? How would you characterize James and John's request? Kind of egocentric. Yeah, a bit egocentric. Uh, to be set above and beyond the other disciples, kind of to elevate us somehow. And yet Bartimaeus' request is simply to be restored to humanity as it's meant to be. Nothing spectacular, simply to be restored. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Verse 42, go your way, for your faith has healed you. Now, there's an interesting dynamic here because this word, your faith has healed you, has made you well, can also mean saved. The same word, depending on context, means saved or healed. So Jesus is simultaneously saying, go your way, your faith has healed you, made you well. Go your way, your faith has saved you. And I think that's intentional here. And so that's why I want to go through this story a second time as a picture of discipleship. Surely this is meant to be read as more than just a healing how did this way section in Mark's gospel begin? Do you guys remember back in chapter 8, the beginning of this section? Anyone? Healing of a blind man in stages. Healing of a blind man in two stages. And actually that episode begins with the exact same language. And they came to Bethsaida, 
here and they came to Jericho. Mark's tying these two together as bookends of this section. There it was in stages, and I've said more than once in this evening series, that it's meant to be a picture of the disciples. Jesus is trying to get them to see what it means for him to be the Messiah, to see why he has to die. He's trying to get the disciples to see, and yet they're kind of like, remember that guy at the first, he says, I see people, but they look like trees. That's not great vision. If you tell your eye doctor that, he's going to say, you know, we need to revise your prescription for your eye or your glasses. Uh, uh, and that's kind of where the disciples are at. It's like, well, uh, probably shouldn't have a driver's license, but they can still sort of see things around about him. Uh, and then again, it ends with a second picture of a blind man being healed. And again, it's a picture of discipleship. Uh, Bartimaeus, he literally begins the story sitting beside the roadside, is how ESV says it. But it's the same word for way that's used at the very last word of this passage. So he begins by the, the way, off to the side of the way. And Jesus says, go your way, but he doesn't go his way, does he? He gets up and it says he followed after him, that is Jesus, on the way. So it's a picture of discipleship. He's, he starts out off to the side of the way, marginalized. Now he's a follower on the way, going up up, up to Jerusalem, ultimately to the foot of the cross. So it's a picture of discipleship. He comes desperate. Okay? Lots of people, they have stuff to lose. They're a bit uncomfortable. He is desperate. He has nothing to lose. In fact, we might say desperation is a precondition of faith. He's not deterred by the crowd. Think about that early parable in Mark about the, the different seeds being planted on different kinds of soil. And some start to sprout and then it gets choked out by the cares of the world. He's not getting choked out. The crowd tries to silence him, but he doesn't give up. And when Jesus calls him, how does he respond? He does three things. Throws off his cloak. Springs up. Comes to Jesus. And that's a picture of discipleship. The cloak, it's interesting. Uh, in the heat of the day in Jerusalem, or uh, Jericho rather, down in the valley there, almost certainly he was not wearing it to keep warm. Perhaps it was his only possession used as a sort of bedroll, so it's how he slept at night. Or perhaps it was spread out so the people that, he's, you know, he's asking for alms and they chuck it on the cloak. Either way, it's likely that this is his possessions, or at least one of his main possessions in the world. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, get rid of everything and follow me. And he goes away sad because he had much. This man has hardly anything, just a cloak. And Jesus doesn't say, get rid of your cloak, but in his excitement to come to Jesus, he chucks it aside. Who knows if he ever recovers it again? There's a huge crowd around. Maybe it's gone forever. He springs up and he comes to Jesus. And then notice that contrast. The rich young ruler comes asking, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Bartimaeus just cries out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. He calls Jesus rabbi when he says, rabbi, restore my vision. And yet, actually, the word is a little bit different than the typical word rabbi. It's rabboni, uh, which apparently is it's an honorific term. But apparently in the first century, it was very rarely used to address an actual rabbi or teacher. But it was used relatively frequently in prayers in the first century, uh, addressing God as sort of the heavenly teacher. And so perhaps there's a little illusion even here that his, his language to Jesus is prayer-like language that's more properly addressed to God than to a mere human. Of course, this is no mere human. It's someone who can restore sight with but a command. Indeed, who can save one. Your faith has saved you. I think at the end of this section on discipleship, it's driving home that pivotal point. 
that what is it? How does salvation get worked out in us? Well, God begins the work, so it's all, as Austin, those great hymns, it's all God's work, and yet how does it express on the human side of things? By placing our trust in Jesus. Bartimaeus, all his hope, he's willing to scream, yell, shout, uh, you know, make a fool of himself, chuck away his possessions. All of his hope is fixed on Jesus. So it's a picture of what faith looks like. Your trust, your hope, your faith, your belief is in Jesus' saving power. Here then, at the end of the section, is indeed a disciple whose eyes are opened, who sees what he needs, mercy and Jesus, and at once jumps up and follows. So Bartimaeus is a challenge to us all. What kind of disciple are we going to be? Are we going to kind of see things fuzzily, keep getting confused about whether we're the most important or not, you know, first shall be last, or maybe I'll just be in the middle. That's a little bit easier, not first or last. You know, is that the kind of disciple we're going to be? Or are we going to follow Bartimaeus's model that you chuck everything off, spring up, run after Jesus, wholly dependent on him? Any other comments or should we turn to prayer? Yeah, Hosanna. I was just thinking about how when Jesus calls the disciples, he says, come follow me. Yep. And it's almost like they have no choice. They get up and follow him. And here he says, go your way. Yeah. And he chooses to come follow him. Yeah, that is interesting. I, yeah, I'm struck by the same thing. He's like, it's fine. The first blind man at the beginning of the section, he said, he warned them not to even go in the town, just go home. Here he says, you kind of follow me or go home or do whatever you want. It's up to you. And he follows Jesus. Yeah, uh, Daniel. Um, when you talked about that word, Rabboni, or yeah. But it struck me that isn't that the way Mary Magdalene responds to Jesus when he meets her after the resurrection? Doesn't um, she call him that? Yeah, I think it may be the same way. I think it may be, but I, I didn't double check. So, yeah, but I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah good, good, good association. Yeah, Ben. I was curious. Were you going to mention why it's not the Bartimaeus rose to a place of prominence. Why Bartimaeus did? Well, I think he follows Jesus. I think he becomes a disciple and presumably after the resurrection is a, is a, known, a known figure in the early church. So, so when Mark's saying, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, you guys know this, who this is. Uh, uh, so it's a bit like a footnote that it's saying, here's someone that you can actually interview if, you, if you'd like to. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for bringing that back up. Well, let's turn then to our time of prayer. Thank you guys for a good discussion.